0: international brotherhood of freemasons podcast a masonic podcast that brings you education pieces from a wide array of authors throughout the english spanish and french-speaking regions of the world international brotherhood of freemasons in no way reflects the views of any masonic lodge or grand lodge and is the sole opinion of the person expressing it and now your host brother paul haynes Welcome to episode number eight, entitled Freemasonry under the Nazi regime. Of course, there's been much written and uh, relayed about World War II and uh, Germany and the Nazi regime during World War II. Um, Maybe not so much about how it affected Masonic lodges, how it affected Freemasonry and Freemasons themselves. So today on International Brotherhood of Freemasons podcast, we're going to talk about how the Nazi regime was um, uh, affected by Freemasons and how they affected uh, the lodges in Germany and throughout the parts of Europe they controlled during World War II. I'm going to be reading from the paper entitled Freemasonry under the Nazi regime. If you are a, a monthly contributor, uh, then you will be able to access some of the images that come along with this paper. There are some real interesting cartoons and um, images that meant to deride Freemasons and, and Freemasonry that originated from the Nazi regime during uh, the time leading up to and including World War II. Okay, so the paper is titled, entitled Freemasonry under the Nazi regime, and it is from the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. I accessed it at encyclopedia.ushmm.org on July 3rd, 2018. When the Nazis came to power, policy towards the Freemasons was equivocal. Efforts to eliminate the Freemasons did not receive top priority. Those lodges that espoused tolerance and equality and had international connections or connections to their leaders to the Social Democrats or Liberal Democrats were subject to persecution and often pressured into voluntary dissolution. A few conservative German lodges that were willing to accommodate themselves to the regime were able to continue some form of existence for only a little longer. Nevertheless, the regime intended to exclude those who refused to give up their Masonic connections. In early 1934, the chief of the Nazi party court system ruled that Masons who did not leave their lodges prior to January 30, 1933 could not join the Nazi party. That same month, Prussian minister of the Interior, Hermann Göring issued a decree calling upon the lodges to voluntarily dissolve, but requiring such voluntary actions to be submitted to him for approval. In addition, lodges and their branches in various cities throughout Germany were exposed to arbitrary violence from local SS and SA units, though this terror did not appear to have been centrally directed. Increasing pressure in the public and professional sectors forced individuals to choose between remaining in their lodges or limiting their career opportunities. Many former lodge members holding positions in the civil service were forced or harassed into retirement. In May of 1934, the Ministry of Defense banned membership in lodges to all personnel, soldiers, and civilian employees. During the summer of 1934, after Heinrich Himmler and Reinhard Heydrich completed their takeover of the centralization of the Gestapo, the German police force forcibly closed down many Masonic lodges and branch headquarters of the Masons and confiscated their assets, including their libraries and archives. On October 28, 1934, Reich Minister of the Interior, Wilhelm Frick, issued a decree defining the lodges as hostile to the state and hence subject to having their assets confiscated. Finally, on August 17, 1935, citing the authority of the Reichstag fire decree, Frick ordered all remaining lodges and branches dissolved and their assets confiscated. Nazi propaganda continued to link Jews and Freemasons. Julius Streicher's virulent publication Der Stürmer, the assault trooper, repeatedly printed cartoons and articles that attempted to portray a Jewish Masonic conspiracy. Freemasonry also became a particular obsession of the Chief of Security Police and SD Reinhard Heydrich, who counted the Masons along with the Jews and the political clergy as the most implacable enemies of the German race. In 1935, Heydrich argued for the need to eliminate not only the visible manifestation of these enemies, but to root out from every German the indirect influence of the Jewish spirit, a Jewish liberal and Masonic infectious residue that remains in the unconscious of many, above all, in the academic and intellectual world. Heydrich created a special section of the SS Security Service, Sicherheitsdienst, or SD, Section 211, to deal specifically with Freemasonry. The SD was particularly interested, as its personnel believed that Freemasonry exercised actual political power shaped public opinion through control of the press and was thus in a position to provoke war, subversion, and revolution. Later, Section 7B1 of the Reich Security Main Office, Reichsicherheitsschrumpen, or the RSHA, an amalgamation of the SDE and the security police formed in 1939, Took over the section devoted to investigating Freemasonry. As German Nazis prepared for war in 1937 and 1938, the regime relaxed pressure on the rank and file of the dissolved lodges. Hitler amnestied members of the rank and file who renounced their former loyalties in April of 1938 and efforts were made in the public sector to decide on continued employment of former Lodge members on a case-to-case basis. Many civil servants who had been forced to retire due to their Masonic connections were recalled into service after the war began, and the ban on former Masons serving in the Wehrmacht German Armed Forces even at the officer rank was relaxed. The Nazi party continued to ban former Masons from membership, though exceptions were made after 1938 in both the Nazi party and even the SS. As they conquered Europe, the Germans forcibly dissolved Masonic organizations and confiscated their assets and documents whenever they established an occupation regime. After a lodge lodge was closed, it was ransacked for membership lists, important library and archival items, furnishings, and other cultural artifacts. Items seized would be sent on to the appropriate German agency Primarily the SD and later the RSHA. As part of their propaganda campaign against Freemasonry, the Nazis and other local right-wing organizations mounted anti-Masonic exhibitions throughout occupied Europe. German-occupied Paris hosted an anti-Masonic exhibition in October 1940 as did German-occupied Brussels in February of 1941. Displaying Masonic ritual and cultural artifacts stolen from lodges, such exhibitions aim to ridicule and direct hatred towards Freemasons and to heighten fears of a Jewish Masonic conspiracy. German wartime propaganda, particularly in the army, charged that Jews and Masons had provoked World War II and were responsible for the policies of U.S. President Franklin Roosevelt, who was identified as a Freemason. Some of Germany's Axis partners decreed police and discriminatory measures against Masons. In August 1940, the Vichy France regime issued a decree declaring Masons to be the enemies of the state and authorizing police surveillance of them. The French wartime authorities even created a card file that identified all members of the Grand Orient of France, a leading French Masonic organization. The card file survived the war and was later microfilmed for the holdings of the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum archives. In 1942, Alfred Rosenberg was authorized by a Hitler decree to wage an intellectual war against the Jews and Freemasons. To that end, Hitler permitted Rosenberg's deployment staff of Reichleader Rosenberg, Einsatzstab Reichsleiter Rosenberg, or ERR, to seize and evaluate Masonic archives. And libraries to best equip them to carry on the methodical intellectual fight that was necessary to win the war. The members of ERR were guaranteed the support of the high command of the German Armed Forces Oberkommander der Wehrmacht OKW in fulfilling their mission. After the end of World War II Vast collections of Masonic archives and library collections that had been seized by German authorities were captured in turn, by Allied and Soviet forces. For example, a significant Masonic archive was found in Silesia in eastern Germany by Soviet troops in the last days of World War II. The Soviet authorities shipped the records to Moscow where they were held in secret archives, Other Masonic-related materials were recovered in Poland. Some of this material has been microfilmed and stored in the archive of the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. Since the end of the Cold War, many Masonic-related collections have been returned to their countries of origin, while others continue to be held in foreign repositories. Because many of the Freemasons who were arrested were also Jews and or members of the political opposition, it is not known how many individuals were placed in Nazi concentration camps and or were targeted only because they were Freemasons. Some former Lodge members as individuals participated in or were associated with German resistance circles, and some were arrested and murdered during World War II. So it's not difficult to imagine how the Masonic teachings of equality and brotherly love would clash with the policies of the Third Reich. But at, at the same time, it's kind of a point of pride to to think that Freemasons and uh, Masonic Lodges uh, oppose uh, the Nazi regime and uh, were seen as an obstacle and a, a, a barrier to the achieving uh, achievement of their the goals of uh, Hitler's third reich all right so thank you for joining me in this episode and uh, remember to visit ibfpodcast.com where you can get more information about the podcast and you can also donate to help keep the show going if you enjoyed this podcast you can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Podomatic and Podbean you can also find International Brotherhood of Freemasons podcast on YouTube, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, and at ibfpodcast.com, where you can support the show by clicking on either the Patreon button or the DonorBox.org button. Anyone who donates at least a dollar a month or makes a one-time donation of twelve dollars will get access to original articles, their translations, pictures, and hyperlinks. If you're able to make a monthly donation of at least five dollars or a one-time donation of $60, you will receive a producer's packet in the mail as well. Please send in any comments or questions to podcastibf at gmail.com. Be sure to look for next month's episode wherever you heard today's episode. Until then, remember how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony.